Welcome to The Exchange. This is your host, Abby Titcomb. Welcome to our first inaugural episode. We're super excited to be here speaking to you guys about all things blockchain and the future of blockchain. So excited to have our first guest here, Jeff. Uh, Jeff Bernstein, thank you for coming today and sitting down with us uh, to chat. So um, quick background on Jeff. Jeff is um, the co-founder and managing partner at Indicator Ventures, um, which is an early stage VC fund that invests across the digital ecosystem. So previously, Jeff co-founded Borderless Ventures, an advisory and consulting business catering to early stage businesses. Um, and before. Uh, venturing into the entrepreneurial world, he was a member at investment. He was a member of the investment committee at High Vista Strategies. Did I say that right? Yeah. High Vista, close enough. High Vista, close enough. Um, which was a Boston-based hedge fund. Um, so you went from hedge fund to VC. Tell me about that story and how you landed at Indicator Ventures. Sure. So um, there's a couple parallels at High Vista. Um, the, you can think of it as kind of a, an outsourced endowment model. And mm -hmm. so we invested in everything from liquid equities and fixed income all the way to infrastructure, private equity, venture capital, et cetera. And that's where I spent most of my time uh, looking at and uh, making investments. Um, obviously, given the size, that was a four or five billion dollar outfit. We were not making early stage investments. It was much more growth and late stage oriented. but. I found that A, I had absolutely no skill at public market investing, but I also had a lot of interest in private market investing, ability for companies to be extremely nimble to um, pivot and uh, embrace change and um, you know just chase where there's open field. Um, I started angel investing in 2009 with one of my now partners, Ben Luntz. Um, who I've known uh, for a long time. He's a, another Boston guy. Um, and so throughout working at High Vista um, and, and beyond there, we had evaluated hundreds and thousands, if not thousands of companies and made a couple of initial investments, uh, luckily, several of which became successful. Mm -hmm. And that's where we started to develop a little bit of a thesis, how we like to work together, the types of companies we liked, the types of risk we liked, the types of risk we didn't like, um, which ultimately led us to founding Indicator Ventures um, and taking an approach with our best existing angel investments, putting those in the fund and going from there. Um, and so that was in early 2014 when we, Ben and our third partner, Jonathan, were working in the marketing world and running um, an agency. I was uh, with Borderless Ventures and um, helping some early stage companies and we wanted to go focus on the investing side full-time um, with the particularly hands-on model and so we dropped what we were doing focused entirely on this and uh, raised our first fund in late, late 2014 and it's been awesome ever since. So what do you mean by more hands-on? Earlier stage, more of um, uh, delivering beyond the capital, what was that? Exactly and so I mean every investor is, is value-add in some way or another mm -hmm. Um, we like to focus on early stage companies um, that have, generally speaking, have some sort of product uh, with some traction where we can then help them scale that up, shore up some of the operational complexities, provide resources, and really get them from what we call fragility to stability. Now these are all relative terms because everything's fragile in early stage land. <laughs> but you know, one customer can make or break business, um, you know, one piece of uh, support here and there because every company is undercapitalized and under-resourced. 
Um, and so we like to act as what you may call a high school college or college guidance counselor or something mm -hmm. like that and helping these companies uh, take it to the next level. And, and we think and I think we've proven that our skill set really lies in that stage. So, you know, over three quarters of our seed investments have have uh, graduated or been acquired. And so while that in and of itself is maybe not a pure metric of success, I think it directionally speaks to you know, what we're going to do. Yeah. yeah, totally. So what um, is your investment thesis? Sure. So it's very broad and intentionally so called uh, digital efficiencies. So what does that mean? It's super broad. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll start with what we don't do. We don't do like every VC says that. Let's start with what we don't invest in. <laughs> yeah, well, it's easier that way. Uh, I mean, part of the job is being opportunistic. Yeah, so you totally. got to structure it that way but so we don't do life sciences I mean I don't know the difference between chemistry and biology so that's probably a good thing not to invest in we don't do hardware which will make sense in a second and uh, we don't really do energy or energy related investments outside of that it's not an industry it's not a technology it's the it's kind of the the, the application of the two and so when we say digital efficiencies, it's a combination of um, leveraging digital products and services to save a tremendous amount of time and money for the end user, um, and in turn, a lot of capital efficiency. So as an early stage investor, there's a lot of risk, obviously. Yeah. Um, part of the risk is just in terms of picking companies that can, that can be successful. Totally. Also, part of it is being in companies that can be capitalized to, you know, run the distance and, and be successful without having to raise hundreds of millions of dollars and potentially putting the early stage investor, investors in a crunch. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that sometimes works if you're in Uber as a seed investor, but I can tell you that not every, there's not a lot of the Ubers out there. Yeah. And statistically speaking, 85% of exits are under $200 million, and those are I mean, those are the exits that are not zero. Mm -hmm. So, in our opinion, you know, hitting singles, doubles, home runs—you know—we we can invest in companies that sell for under two hundred million dollars and yeah. return the fund. Um, and so that is really a, a a white space in our opinion. Now we have a lot of companies that we think will grow beyond there, mm -hmm. but to do that, you need to be in companies that can scale quickly and capital in a capital efficient manner mm -hmm. and attract the attention of some corporate and strategic buyers as well as maybe some private equity buyers yeah. um, without having to raise 20, 30, 40 million dollar mm -hmm. series A's and B's. Um, and I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that in our approach, we're practical about this and we like to be in companies that can take couple million dollars and turn it into a five, six, seven million dollar a year mm -hmm. business and from there control their own destiny. Yeah, in a specific path. Correct. Cor yeah. uh, corporate and strategic partners, which is part of your investment thesis. Exactly. It's almost like a stage mixed with domain thesis. Exactly. Cool. Yep. So, I mean, speaking of all those things, right? So how did you at Indicator get into blockchain? Because you've made a couple of blockchain investments, um, what, Unicorn, um, uh, cap-linked, um, noble kind of services, the blockchain space, um, Everbloom now. Mm -hmm. So what was that initial shift into uh, the space? Because I mean, when we're talking about stuff that's scalable and has makes sense and has a path, yeah. right? That's totally not what blockchain mm -hmm. technology is. So what 
got you guys with that structured thesis into something volatile is such an overused word right now, but to something so volatile, I guess. So two things. One is I still have blockchain for dummies on my desk. No way. And I bought that <laughs> when we started the fun. So and it's just still a reference guide for me. So like just all the listeners, I don't know anything. So let's start there. Nobody does, so it's um, great. And the other thing is within our model as a fund, um, and you shouldn't read into this too much, but we look at risk uh, uh, pretty, uh, you know, in a pretty disciplined way. So everything is risky in early stage investment, but some there is a spectrum of risk. And so we like to complement some of our core investments with what we, call you know opportunistic or, or more binary outcome set investments mm-hmm. um, where incredible team with an incredible market opportunity but very few proof points and it's kind of like if this is possible this is the team to do it mm-hmm. and you know it's going to be a huge success otherwise you know the downside is is at best aqua hire mm-hmm. which is fine and i think that those are really good um you know risk reward opportunities that we like to to complement our portfolio yeah. with so that is exactly where we think mm-hmm. some of this blockchain stuff fits in. Um, you know, blockchain is a technology. It's not a business model. It's not a sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we don't have a, th- like, we have a thesis for sure, but we don't approach investing like we need to find a blockchain company. Mm-hmm. Um, We've stumbled into it in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our, we made an opportunistic investment in a company called Unicorn um, that uh, provides safe and real-time wagering uh, um, for esports. Mm-hmm. Uh, really interesting business with, a, with an incredible uh, founding team who we had worked with previously. Um, when we invested in their seed round and subsequently followed on in their Series A, uh, we did so uh, buying equity and yeah. um, had I had. You know, the thought of an ICO hadn't even crossed my mind at that point. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to the end of 20, well, early, mid 2017. You, you invested in them seed, right? Correct. Okay. In uh, 2015. Okay. 2014. Pardon, pardon me. 2014 and then <laughs> Series A in 2015. Okay. So um, it was a seed and a Series A. Correct. And then fast forward to 2017 and they you know told us about this opportunity with um issuing a token and um providing a lot of uh different opportunities for for people to use that to wager and also um you know engage in a lot of uh, a lot of the offerings that they have in the esports it's esports space so we didn't really know how to think about that um when you say that they brought up this opportunity, was it they brought it to the table for an open discussion or was it more like they said, we're going to ICO? So it was it was more the latter, um, mm-hmm. but to their credit, they, they, you know, they had a lead investor in the Series A who I'm sure um, was, you know, very, a, a big part of the conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that's a good point you bring up, which is a lot of the docs as written in which you invest early on don't really outline how to have this conversation how to translate an equity investment to not even that it's like yeah ceo wants to do an ico what do you do yeah like 
technically, mm-hmm. CEO can spin up a subsidiary at an offshore location and the governance is completely driven by him or her or their team and the board has you know very little say over it so long as the assets are wholly owned by this parent company. Yeah. So as a lot of companies that have previously raised equity go through with you know an ICO or token offering, whatever, I think that that will become more and more of a, I would say a hot discussion topic. Maybe not um, area of dissidence, but it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a wrinkle in the governance, put it that mm-hmm. way. Um, but anyway, so back to, to, to Unicorn. So this was very exciting, I thought. I mean, I understood mm-hmm. their vision and, and, and it seemed to make a lot of sense. And the way we thought about it was, wow, like you can raise some non-dilutive capital instead of raising a Series B and, and yeah. um, you know, take this company even further. While also a, adding value to your network. Right? Totally. And so, you know, Raul, as he explained it to me, um, you know, because I had heard some crazy stories, like I CEOs mean, yeah. running off, buying yachts, all I this mean, stuff. The, and the amount I'm, of ICO scandals is, yeah. you know, skyrocketed. And I'm like the super pessimistic person in the organization, <laughs> yeah. so I, risk is what I focus on yeah. all day. And he said, Jeff, this is non-dilutive capital, and we're going to do things that are accretive, like making strategic acquisitions and hiring mm-hmm. people who can drive a ton of product value in the business, mm-hmm. and using this token to cover some of the marketing and advertising expenses and bring in new parties and, and basically build a global brand. And to his credit, he's done exactly that. Um, and so. In that regard, I'm really happy with how it played out. It was a successful ICO. They raised over $30 million at a time after which crypto went on a complete run. Yeah. So that you know tripled. Um, but as this was going on, we thought more and more about it. And we're like, OK, well, what does this mean for us? Because we don't get that money. Like That doesn't yeah, go into not, our pockets. Yeah. So we're still an equity investor in this company that now has a token. And if you think about it from a business perspective, to the company, anybody who holds a token, that's a liability for the company, because that can mm. be redeemed. Think of it as like a gift card, yep. right? Um, a little bit. More like a casino <laughs> chip, I think. Yeah, I think it's definitely more like a casino chip. Yeah. And so there is a lot of cash and assets that went on the balance sheet. There's some liabilities out there in the wild. It puts the business in a really great place, but it puts us in an interest, us being the investors in an interesting place where we're an equity investor in a company that now has this publicly traded, I'm not gonna say the S word, mm-hmm. security, because <laughs> I don't want to, but <laughs> like, how do we get our money back? Is someone ever gonna buy a company that has tokens outstanding? When will that happen? There's no precedent yeah. for that so far. And so the only way that I see us getting our money back now is if the company becomes extremely profitable and starts to make distributions, or if um, maybe the company, you know, starts to tender some of the outstanding tokens and distribute them out to mm-hmm. investors as a way of, you know, basically re- recouping yeah, some of the principal. Yeah, because you weren't invested in the ICO. You didn't hold tokens. Correct. You were equity before it. Correct. Which is different than somehow VCs are investing now, which is actually investing in the token sale, which is a whole nother 
totally the regulatory um, shit show. Excuse my language, right? But yeah, this is the equity, and now you're saying, how do I make my money back? Exactly. And we and we wrote. I mean, we write very detailed correspondence with our LPs. Mm -hmm. um, what did your LPs think about that? Well, I think they were glad that we didn't put their money into the token sale yeah. because they just there's too much there's way too much unnecessary uh, volatility there. Mm -hmm. Although you know some of these things are, are fantastic investments, I think more moreover is they invested in us to invest in companies early and help them grow to a place where they can be acquired. Yeah, like that's mm -hmm. our business model, and this is outside of that scope. And so, mm -hmm. that being said, we said. Any of you want to participate in this, you're welcome to. We're mm. not going to recommend it. We're not going to put your assets in it, but it's you know, you have the opportunity to do so. Oh, direct LP to mm -hmm. ICO. And um, I'm glad only a few of them did because they just didn't know what they were doing. No knock to them. It's just I don't think a lot of people knew. And yeah. you know, one of them gave a Coinbase address and never <laughs> got their tokens and there was a lot of stuff like that. So it was just a headache and a distraction. But for Unicorn, it was a very successful sale. Yeah, so it was a successful sale for them. They've been not, they didn't run off with the money, which is already a plus, right? Um, so how do you, what is, you say, you're saying that you needed to figure out how you're gonna make your money back. What was the proposed solution? You know, what is, where does it stand now? Are you still figuring it out? Or have you um, worked with the company or the founders or at least created like an exit plan for how you're gonna make liquidate and make back that money? Mm -hmm. So I think um, there's a couple options. Um, I probably can't really go into it too yeah, much uh, right totally. now. There's a couple options there, um, but they revolve less around doing things with tokens. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll say it that way. Um, the fact is we don't know, Yeah. Um, but I, I'm okay with it in that this was an opportunistic investment from the beginning, mm -hmm. and now it's even more opportunistic. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it has even more upside. So that was that was the intention behind this type of an investment for us, and and so it continues to fit that mold. Mm -hmm. um, now we've made other investments that that touch blockchain in some way. Yeah. Um, another one that we invested in as an equity investor before they decided to um, build blockchain technology is a company called CapLinked. Okay. CapLinked is, um, started off as a virtual data room provider, but has moved into more of a um, uh, highly secure uh, workflow and, and communications platform mm -hmm. um, to allow customizable permissions for organizations, you know, sharing data externally. Because mm -hmm. um, 99% of data breaches are human error, so mm -hmm. that's really the, the whole thesis there. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's a really interesting application, um, and it's, it's not as obvious as you may think, but again, we invested before we ever thought that this company, we ever thought about ICOs, yeah. and, and now they're going to do one. Um, so it's the same situation. Same situation, but we've had longer time to talk about it and to discuss ways in which the investors can benefit mm -hmm. more directly and more immediately from it. Mm -hmm. um, so CapLink, the, 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 token, the, the blockchain product is, is called TransitNet, mm -hmm. and their thesis is that uh, security-backed tokens are gonna be the real wave of the future. Interesting. Um, owning a piece of real estate that's been tokenized, owning an interest in a, in a venture capital fund, owning yeah. equities that, you know, through a token. Mm -hmm. 
versus what? the utility tokens that are sure, exactly. rampant through the network. Exactly. Yeah. And so the missing link there is, well, how does the token holder know what they're holding? Have t not just have title to it, but like, where's the flow of information? Mm -hmm. Where's the reporting? Uh, where's the governance? And how is, you know, as that security changes hands, how do you continue to get that information to the token mm -hmm. holder? Um, and that's really the void that they're filling. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a, a classic DAP, decentralized application. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that that's a little bit closer to what we, if we were to invest in token, in ICOs or in tokens mm -hmm. in the future, this is getting a little bit closer to kind of something that would fit our thesis. Mm -hmm. um, even so, we're not going to invest LP money in the token sale. Okay. Um, but obviously continue to support the company in however we can and, and make introductions where we can. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, mm. But again, uh, in our docs, it says nothing about token sales. Technically, we could do it if we wanted to, mm -hmm. but I don't think our LPs want us to. The ones we've talked to certainly don't. Mm -hmm. And I think it has less to do with their lack of confidence and more to do with like, they have plenty of volatility in their portfolios. They don't need Already. more. Yeah. There's Venture capital is risky enough. We've got a really good track record at making equity mm -hmm. investments. Let's mm -hmm. stick to what we are good at and what we know. And you know, I'm sure we'll get into some of this in the, in, later in this interview, yeah. but there's plenty of funds out there that are dedicated specifically totally. to this type of investing. And I think it's best left to the experts. Mm -hmm. Which is, I think that's really interesting. But so with the cap-linked ICO, you said that that was a private ICO, right? So only accredited investors could... Uh, so th they... So their uh, reg 506C, the pre-sale um, is only for accredited investors. Gotcha. They will do a public-facing yeah. sale mm -hmm. probably in the fall. Which is a different, I mean, uh, sometimes more of a valuable situation for potential, a better, a better case for your LPs to invest in, right? Yeah. Like we see Filecoin. Filecoin had a um, very successful um, you know, private ICO with a bunch of accredited investors. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's um, a trend in the right direction because, I mean, you segued it perfectly, right? But there's a rise of this new type of venture capital in people like Polychain or blockchain capital who are investing in application-specific tokens at the protocol level. And it's really interesting seeing that trend in that direction. Um, and it's getting earlier and earlier stage mm -hmm. as we've been seeing now. Um, which I think is really interesting. So what are your thoughts on that type of investing? Well, I think that um, just a little bit to an earlier point, the type the, 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 the type of people and organizations that um, companies raise from in these offerings mm -hmm. is extremely important um, because this will be a quote, publicly tradable thing. Mm -hmm. And A, you need to make sure that you don't have too much concentration in there mm -hmm. um, and that people are locked up that hold big pieces because it can really move the needle on pricing. Um, and like there's no forces in there to prevent market movement um, and front yep. running. More importantly, there's a big difference between a token like the Unicoin Gold and a token like the Transit Net token. Mm -hmm. um, both, I think, great ideas and both, I think, going to be very successful. But Unicoin Gold is a very consumer facing product. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, you use it to, uh, you know, place a wager 
on their platform. Well, it isn't. So is Unicorn Gold considered a utility token? It is, right? Yes. Yes. And yep. then, but TransitNet, TransitNet is a security. TransitNet is going to be a security token. Gotcha. And not just that, but it's really for um, developers and specifically those building um, DApps or uh, or offering security back tokens themselves. Yeah. Um, and so, in that regard you're less likely to raise from the, at least in a pre-sale, yeah. from the kind of crypto enthusiasts, mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe putting a hundred bucks or a couple thousand bucks into mm -hmm. it, you're much more likely to raise in the institutional level. And so for them, they've smartly recognized that and focused their efforts um, on this, you know, not just accredited, but really on the institutional level gotcha. capital, um, which Unicoin did as well, but also in the public sale, um, you know, they said they raised from people in over 112 countries, and it's no surprise because there's esports enthusiasts all over the place. Everywhere, yeah. yeah. Who want to engage in the network, not are just trading it. But it's, exactly. it's, it's in, it, I think that's a cool thing, and also the volatile thing about uh, utility tokens is because you're investing in the network, not just in how it's being traded or, yep. um, or valued in the market. Exactly. So now back to the question about like, how does this affect the venture investors, yeah. early stage investors? So a couple things. One is that, um, I mean, I, I highly encourage entrepreneurs to pick a path and mm. don't do both. Mm. There's, there's just- there's, What do you mean, pick a path? Pick a with... path, either go ICO or stick to equity. Gotcha, okay. Don't mix the two. There's, there's, too, many, um, there's too many issues. Uh, there's, there's too many, um, different objectives and um, there's really a lack of alignment. Mm. Yes, everybody wants the company to be successful, but the the time horizon changes, yeah. the objectives change, and the fiduciary nature of, of, the, of, of protecting investor capital is completely different when, mm -hmm. it's, uh, ice, when it's like a liquid token versus private illiquid uh, equity. Mm -hmm. So I think that, that, that the two don't mix, mm -hmm. at least now. Um, I, I have ideas of way to make them work in the future, but right now I think that it's important to, to keep them separate. Um, mm -hmm. What are those ideas if you want to expand on those more? Because I think that this is everybody has new ideas about how they can do it. And so I personally think that if you're an equity investor and the company goes and does an ICO, you yeah. should be entitled to the pro rata, your pro rata share of mm. those funds distributed mm. right to you. That helps you pay down your principal, lower your basis, and yeah. then you kind of have more upside and you're more aligned with the company going for this big big vision in a different direction. Um, the other option would, you know. Be use some of the the reserve tokens, the mm -hmm. treasury tokens, to give to your investors to, for them to go either hold or sell for liquidity. Mm -hmm. um, other options would you know you can do you can not just you could do tender offers. So meaning that you can you know for a company that raises a hundred million in ICO, I, it's hard particularly because that's usually very early on in the company's mm -hmm. life. It's hard for me to imagine the need 
for $100 million at that stage. Yeah, that's the other thing is that these ICOs are such massive, massive raises. Totally. And you're wondering, you know, what is what is the funding market fit that you're seeing right now? And so the entrepreneurs should want to know, if they think it's going to be that big of a deal, they should want to own as much of the company as they can. So what better way to do that than to tender your investor shares and buy them out with the newly mm -hmm. raised funds? Um, or at least give them the option to do so. Mm -hmm. And lastly, I, I think that... Um, from a governance perspective, and, and we're now starting to put this in uh, in docs, there's gotta be more of a conversation before a company goes off and, and does an ICO, mm -hmm. if they've already raised money equity. from equity investors, and particularly if they have a board. Um, I think that things move fast and f for, you know, for the right reasons, but like, you got to slow down and think about the impact for all your stakeholders and make sure that everybody's got a say in this thing. Yeah, and and it's kind of cool because you, you've realized that you need to start officializing, uh, officializing, that's not a word, making the process of the conversation moving into an ICO more official, almost yeah. because you were forced to do it yeah. by saying what was the conversation. So has that conversation transformed? Um, obviously, I don't know what specifically you can get into, but now say you have an equity investment, right? Like say say Everbloom wants to go do an ICO, right? Yep. What would the conversation entail now? And what would you need um, on your end to feel secure and safe about the investment? Um, so with Everbloom, um, I think a couple things with any investment. So number one is, I, I you know, I think it should, I think it should be up for a vote, despite the fact that it's non-dilutive funding and therefore technically doesn't impact the economic mm. ownership, economic status of an equity investor, and thus wouldn't require a majority vote per docs. I think it should require a vote because it changes the dynamics of the company. Um, and it definitely changes the balance sheet. I think that all existing investors should have a right of first refusal to participate in mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. I think that all existing investors should have the option to put some of their shares up for tender um, to take some of the proceeds if it you know reaches above a certain threshold of, of funding mm -hmm. in the ICO um, and yeah I think all those things are directionally help everybody get aligned help mm -hmm. protect all parties and I think more importantly everybody gets on the same page which is always a good thing for a company to be I on mean, the same yeah. page as their investors totally um, but yeah, so I mean, I think that there's there's plenty of funds out there that that like investing directly in tokens. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a liquid strategy. I don't think it's a very tax efficient strategy. Mm. Um, and our LPs certainly wouldn't want that. If you have tax exempt LPs, it's very different. Mm. Um, but you know, understanding a lot of this is short term capital gains. That's totally that, that's expensive for for people. Mm. Um, the other thing is with. You know, I'm just getting into some nerding out on some fun stuff. Nerd like, out. Let's do it. <laughs> so, like, if you invest out of a fund in an ICO, yeah. depending on what your hold strategy is, if, let's say, the price ran up and you sell it six months later, mm -hmm. generally speaking, when one of our investments sells, we then take that money and give it right back to our LPs. Mm -hmm. Well, in this, very rarely does a company sell six months after we make an investment. Yeah. So do you recycle that capital? Meaning, do you take the proceeds from it and then put it back to work? Mm -hmm. Or do you distribute it out? If you distribute it out, then um, you better have a really good return on that money. Yeah. Because uh, 
it's going to be costly from a tax perspective, and it also, um, you know, wasn't wasn't put to work for very long. So these are all the things that we think about, and mm. I think a lot of other funds think about. I'm sure, you know, for early stage funds that are small, um, I personally think it's it's best to stick to kind of like what you're set up for and what you're mm -hmm. good at. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, there's plenty of early stage investors who are extremely smart in this space, um, who, you know, I think would be would be right in, in, yeah. in pursuing a strategy here. But if you're on the bigger end, like an injury isn't, and you want to carve out a small pocket of your fund for this type of opportunistic investing, I think that's an interesting strategy that mm -hmm. provides some diversification in a pretty large portfolio. Mm -hmm. So do you see yourself continuing to invest in blockchain companies? I mean, you have, right? But so how has your thesis in that specific domain changed? Because you're still there for the opportunity. Yes, it's yeah. not going to be your main focus because you're saying, you know, it's not just your main focus of your fund, right? But how do you see um, that thesis developing over time? So picks and shovels, that's where we want to be. Yeah. We see Everbloom as an infrastructure play mm -hmm. supporting uh, you know, building a decentralized exchange, supporting this ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, and that's exactly the type of investment that we would want to make. Noble Bank International, um, they provide real-time clearing and settlement uh, in OTC markets, mm -hmm. FX, um, some kind of electricity markets, and building almost like um, a platform for, for others to build banking applications on top of their bank charter and on top of yeah. their platform. Um, a lot, if you, you know, you can read some stories, they, their bank is based out of Puerto Rico and a lot of the centralized exchanges are looking for a place to park their cash yeah. and Noble has been a, a, a perfect place for them, for, for them to go. Um, no token, Noble has not done an ICO, has no intention of doing so. And um, I think that that they've built, I mean, they've built a really large business quietly that is supporting mm -hmm. some of the underlying infrastructure in the space. Um, you know, cap the, the transit net um, DAP, we like a lot. Again, we don't want to put LP money into the token quite, we're not ready for yeah. any of that yet, but I think that as, as an application, that's very interesting and certainly fits our thesis. Um, so, you know, I think we'll, we approach the stuff as with everything with extreme caution. Mm -hmm. um, try to see as much as we can out there. Um, again, we're looking to make equity investments and be with these entrepreneurs for a long marriage mm -hmm. and to help them grow. Yeah. Uh, and you know, we'd like to see them build businesses, so certainly supporting this ecosystem or, or just building blockchain infrastructure outside of crypto i mean the, the, i think if you ask anybody that's way bigger opportunity totally um so yeah i think again back to my original comment like our thesis is not on a particular technology or yeah. a particular yeah. market it's like how can we use something to drive efficiencies mm -hmm. no and i i think that's interesting specifically in the blockchain space but also as a vc because i mean the whole thing about early stage capital is that you're investing in more than you're, you're giving more than money right you're, it's, mm -hmm. it goes beyond the capital and capital is a commodity right now right mm -hmm. so how do you see the resources that you provide entrepreneurs and support them almost as what the college guidance counselor right how do you see those resources transforming as companies can now start raising non-dilutive capital from networks like via 
ICOs? How do you see VCs staying relevant, which is a very brutal way to put it, but mm-hmm. how do you see them staying relevant as the landscape changes? Um, and a compound on that is what needs to happen to get more equity investors either investing in blockchain, I mean, investing in ICOs or in blockchain technology as a whole. Okay. That was uh, a compound question. I know, I'm um, sorry. <laughs> calculating. Here. So I think first off, I think there's a ton of brilliant ideas out there. I don't see why every single one needs its own token. I don't, I don't. Yeah. Maybe I'm just missing something, but I just don't really understand why we need a new token for every single opportunity. Yeah. I think that if that conversation is had and people say, you know what, there's, we built our own kind of decentralized layer, but you can use other people's tokens. Yes, I understand different security protocols, different like consensus protocols, but that removes some of the barrier because we're in the business of picking winners. And like, if you've got a thousand different tokens out there, how are you gonna pick, like, and the differentiation is not in the actual, the, the differentiation is, is kind of separated from what's tradable. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to do your job. Yeah. Um, I think that some of the companies who have pursued ICOs and done so successfully, we've yet to see an MVP or even sniff a product. Yeah, which is a huge thing with um, ICOs right now. So I'd like to There's think- nothing there. <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to think that investors will become more cautious mm-hmm. in giving money to projects where there's kind of very wishy-washy timelines and very little to, yeah. to diligence or to kick the tires on. Um, and quite frankly, that is one of the primary reasons why we don't want to participate in these just mm-hmm. yet is that A, owning a token, you have absolutely no vote whatsoever on what the company does with the funds. Mm-hmm. Um, and B, you really, I don't know what, I frankly don't really know what the information flow is like. I'm sure you can mm-hmm. have side letters and, and, and request certain reporting, but. You mean you know, two token holders from a company, two token exactly. holders. Exactly, yeah. but I, I don't I don't really, you know, like when's the product gonna be built? Are they sticking to their timeline? Mm. Which is, is mainly the question with, I think, ICOs that are, um, you know, ICOing for specific utility tokens where the value of the token is almost, completely um, parallel to how many people are on the network or how mm-hmm. many people are um, adding to the network. So it's almost like a chicken and egg situation mm-hmm. and it's all about markets right now. And that's why it's super volatile, but there is a value in when people start using the network and that whole token model, but mm-hmm. you agree. It's like, take the coin out of it, you know, oh. take the token out of it. Totally. You can substitute a lot of stuff with ether, right? You know, and solve the same um, problem. So I agree with you on that, definitely. And if I, th- I think about a lot of the investments that we've made and like, they could have done this too, but yeah. they didn't for whatever reason. And I'm glad that they didn't <laughs> because they've done very well. Um, it's not to say that the companies that are tokenizing aren't going to do very well, but yeah. I think that we need more visibility and more accountability in terms of putting the funds to work and actually building something yep. that becomes usable. Um, so that's certainly something that will be needed to get equity investors putting more money to yeah. work in, in, in uh, tokens. Um, and I think that there's gotta be some dampened volatility in the broader mm-hmm. markets, which uh, we've seen, 
after like a huge spike and it's coming back down. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you can't, you know, putting money into things that swing 20, 30% intraday is, is you'd be, unless you have a very well-defined strategy, like some of these block, uh, some of these crypto funds, like you'd be very hard pressed to raise money. Yeah. No, definitely. I think it's interesting how the crypto world almost changes when things become bearish, right? And it's mm -hmm. people start focusing on, okay, who's actually doing something instead of hyping up whatever sale or token is mm -hmm. coming up right now. And I think that when it, I think it almost when the it becomes more of a bearish market, right? You start realize, you realize the, the holes in everything because everybody starts actually putting it into focus and saying, oh, okay, what is this person actually doing? They just raised this much money. What's that status? And I think that that's really important to analyze and for investors, it makes you kind of worry about the market. And I think that that's... Yeah. And here's a, here's a pretty bad analogy. Uh, <laughs> Worse why than are, the gift card? <laughs> <laughs> why are companies staying private longer? A couple of reasons. Some of them are artificially driven by the soft banks of the world helping that to become a reality. But a lot of it is like the reason that Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk just don't like talking to equity analysts is like they want to know what's happening day to day, quarter to quarter. And these guys are visioning for the future, yeah. way down the road. And when you become a public, when you become traded on the public market, you're under way more scrutiny. Forget the regulation side. Mm -hmm. It's 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 a, it's about uh, different priorities, different time horizons, um, and being more in the public spotlight. Mm -hmm. When you're a private company, yes, you're still answering to investors. You still have expectations, um, but it's. I would say much more grounded and you can be much more dynamic and nimble in building mm -hmm. your company on the kind of publicly traded token side um, well those holders of the token don't necessarily have governance rights in terms of what the company can do from utilizing those funds um, there's a lot of noise out there mm -hmm. there's you know those token holders can cause huge headaches for companies. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, price swings and all these things have become a gigantic distraction. So, again, all this to say, I believe in the future of cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it looks like. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people should continue to pursue strategies and, and um, you know, build infrastructure here. Um, but, it's not as simple as just raising an ICO, getting a bunch of money and going and being able to build your product. Yeah, totally. Well, to wrap it up, since we're running out of time here, um, the last question kind of goes back to the compound one that I asked is you believe in the future. You don't know what it looks like right now, right? How are you going to stay relevant as a traditional early, early stage VC in the space right now? Um, For either blockchain or just in general? Yeah, I mean, again, Blockchain is one of many technologies. Yeah. I think people are very bullish on it today. Um, we'll continue to pursue our strategy, which is investing in things that save a ton of time and a ton of money. Some of those are not as sexy and don't have buzzwords like blockchain. Mm -hmm. Some of them do. Mm -hmm. um, whatever the case is, it's hard for me to envision a world where 
everybody ICOs where everything is mm. done via token. Um, so you think I, equity investing will always be a standard? It will always be a standard. Mm. And, you know, there's a reason why some of these marquee names that you hear about are marquee names. And it's not just because they got lucky and invested in Uber and Twitter and yeah. whatever. Like, these, some of these GPs have been instrumental in providing, um, you know, resources and, and, and advice and services to the founders to build these mm -hmm. companies. Now, I don't want to give too much credit to VCs because it's, it's the entrepreneurs. <laughs> it's really the founders. That it's matter, all yeah. the entrepreneurs and it's all, all the, the, the teams that, that make these things a success. Um, I think the job of a VC is to help provide some level of objectivity and identify issues before they become problems mm -hmm. because entrepreneurs tend to be so hyper focused and in the weeds that mm. um, they aren't able to, to identify, you know, they have their blinders on. So it's partially that and it's partially making sure that they have everything they need to be successful. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not to say that you, you can't get that value when you do an ICO, but I just, I find it hard to believe that everything will be tokenized and mm -hmm. that there will be no more traditional venture capital. Um, you know, maybe the market changes a little bit, but I'm not mm -hmm. personally, I'm not too worried about it. And we're not changing our strategy. Mm -hmm. Well, there you have it. Jeff says that VC is here to stay. Thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with us. Today. Thank you. The exchange is sponsored by Everbloom, a decentralized crypto asset exchange with the intelligence, liquidity, and trust institutional investors need.